This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Protector, a 1973 novel by Larry Niven. Uh, first uh, published in Galaxy Magazine in 67, uh, at least the first half, or first A piece bit, of it, yeah, the adults. As the adults, uh, oh, which I think Oh, that's what it meant. It was called but, the adults, the first bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I really, I, I like that as a title. I mean... Um, and, and thinking about why the book is called Protector, I always thought it's just because there's a, when I got the book originally, there's a protector on the cover, right? The uh, adult form of the fistapoc or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, actually, it's the spaceship, right? That's the name of their spaceship. Because Brennan's uh, and and the uh, the Brennan monster and uh, the other dude. Are flying a spaceship called the called Protector, protecting humans, protecting Earth. Yeah. Right, right from right. the the uh, the pack. Right. So yeah, well, I guess that's not a big revelation to you guys. Oh, <laughs> well, like, and, but also, oh that's why it's called that. Uh, uh, but also, I mean, from the very first paragraph when when he's quoting e- the 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 Gen- the Bible. Genesis, and um, and he's and he's talking about you know the Garden of Eden and and then the cherubim, um, yeah. which are cherubim are protectors of the gardens of Eden too. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yep. good point. Hmm. That's um, actually what I thought it was. Oh yeah, and they're also they're they're sort of um, bulbous looking. <laughs> well, they have four faces: uh, Cher- lion, cherubim? ox, human, and eagle. I thought I thought they were like the little uh, baby angels that. No, they're, no. they're kind of fierce-looking. I'm pretty sure they're baby angels. Well, I googled it, uh, and, and All right, it I'm says, looking it up. Um, yeah, they they have wings and four faces, one of which is beaked, a beaked face. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nevin clearly was was digging that for his inspiration, for sure. Oh. No, but if you just type in cherubim and hit images, you get the sort of the classical, I don't know, Renaissance uh, image as well yeah you have to I, go a little deeper oh yeah but yeah definitely um and they're cute they're like little baby angels right and then there's the seraphim which are the the adult angels i don't know but yeah they're also monsters aren't they mm. that's pretty cool mm-hmm. and they have wings right? and they have wings which uh the um they have here wow oh of course and then there's um have you guys you know that disease or I don't know, adaptive growth problem called cherubism. No, no. Oh, it's it's really curious. Um, type in cherubism. It's a, um, I think it's like a growth disorder. Um, it's a bone growth disorder, and it makes the uh, typically what happens is the person um, just has a very baby like face, um, and they they tend to have you can sort of tell. Um, because their jaw is much bigger than would normally be, um, you know, common. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's quite striking. Um, there was a, uh, I think a professional wrestler who 
who had it, and I was like, wow, he has a really firm jaw. <laughs> um, I was like, oh yeah, okay, it's a, it's like a growth uh, bone growth disorder. Oh yeah, oh that's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a genetic condition that uh, changes it's, the lower half of the face. Wow. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's not like a particularly frightening one, which there are many frightening sort of growth disorders. Um, this one is like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> it's probably not cute for the person. Probably not. But they they literally look like cherubs, right? Um, uh, the classical baby angel sort of cherub, which is interesting. Um, I, I want to read uh, from the opening of something here for you and see if you recognize it. Uh-huh. All right. Um, here it is. Unhappy is he to whom the memories of childhood bring only fear and sadness. Wretched is he who looks upon, uh, lo- who looks back upon lone hours in vast and dismal chambers with brown hangings and maddening rows of antique books. Or upon odd watches in twilight groves of grotesque, gigantic, and vine-encumbered trees that silently wave twisted branches far aloft. Does this sound familiar, Paul? (laughs) Such a lot as... Such a lot the gods gave to me. To me, the dazed and disappointed, the barren, the broken. And yet I am strangely content and cling desperately to those seer memories when my mind... Uh, momentarily threatens to reach beyond to the other. No? no. <laughs> is, is, is that one? Is that one I'm of... scrolling to the end now. Okay. okay. Um, for although the Nepenthe has calmed me, I have always, I know always that I am an outsider, a stranger in this century among those who are still men. This I have known ever since I stretched out my fingers to the abomination with... Within the great gilded frame, stretched out my fingers and touched a cold and unyielding surface. Oh, you have to be quoting Lovecraft. I don't know what, yes. which one precisely you are at this point, I'm, but now, now, now it's clear. <laughs> yeah, it is Lovecraft, and it's a story called The Outsider, uh-huh. which is how the aliens are described at the beginning of the story, right? It's a... Mm-hmm. a yeah, right, the, it is. The, the novel is a... You know, the aliens come into the solar system, outsiders. Um, they are kind of humans that have been transformed by a process. And that's what's happened to the outsider in the story, the outsider as well. He's basically, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of this, but um, because it's never really said, but I think he's a, a, a zombie, right? He's been, he died and come back sort of, reborn as a zombie and he's lost most of his memories of childhood mm-hmm. but um they're dim and he's powerfully motivated to escape where he is which is and he returns home so it's uh, uh we know from our previous uh encounter with larry nevin's uh ring world that he had read lovecraft right yeah. or at least was aware of lovecraft so I just think that it's it's possible that this is where the I mean it's obvious that outsiders is you know it's not original to Lovecraft it's not original to to Niven but it I just thought that was a striking connection. Not seeing it now. Yeah, I, I if I had read the 
the the outsiders more recently. I would have picked it up just as you did. But yeah, it's it, it, he's he's definitely channeling some all sorts of things into his protectors. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I actually want to jump in actually at and put myself on the spot. So now that you've read Protector after Ring World Engineers, what do you think? I love this one. Oh, good. Yeah, I you know I wish I wish I had read this one first because uh, I thought it was great and I would have had such a softer spot for Larry Niven going into the Ring World, mm. um, and I would have you know like I would have been much more forgiving of the characters that I that I had problems with because these characters here there I didn't have any of those problems. I thought this was a great. Um, He's not sexist at all. No, <laughs> no. Right? So I really, I thought it was great. I, I think it's his best book. I, I, I thought I really, it, I liked it better than. I mean, I liked Ringworld, although I had some problems with it. But I, I loved this one. What do you think, Paul? Uh, I, I, I still have a soft spot for the big damn object that is the Ringworld. Yeah, I mean, but as a novel, qua novel, yeah, protectors, ex- except for the fact that the last bit wraps up so quickly and you can understand why, because you ha- now have a transformed protector just basically explaining we're doing this, 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 and this. Now I'm just going to, and you just need to follow along and whoop, we're done. Mm-hmm. Except that's sort of like the abrupt ending. I think this novel's well-paced and it probably is best written novel. I had, I had remembered only pieces of this and incompletely. I had, I thought that, there was more Fist of Fox than there actually was. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was more Kobold than there actually turns out to be. Mm-hmm. I, I remember Kobold really. I was hoping what you guys thought thought of uh, that little artificial planetoid that uh, Brennan awesome. created. That was great. It was Eden it's, 2. Eden number it's 2. Eden 2, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's hard to picture exactly what it looks like. Um, however, I notice if you, if you do a search for the... Uh, the first paperback release of Protector. It doesn't have this uh, this um, Fistapoc on the cover. It has uh, it has a picture of them on Kobol. Really? Are there upside? Think, is there waterfalls flowing up in the picture? Well, no. Uh, it looks. It basically it looks like a tiny, tiny ring world or a torus. Ah, uh, I see. I could have they go for that. Um, but um. There's a number of uh, other images around, um, including that one, if you look at it from a certain angle, that show it as a giant eye, right? So it's a circle. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a basically a torus or donut-shaped planet, right, with grass on it. And then in the center, there's a, a regular, you know, uh, Timbit sort of donut <laughs> hole. <laughs> if you know what a Timbit is, I was going to uh, say, just no, it is. No, it's what's a Timbit? <laughs> Mice is from Ontario. She can explain it's it. A, it's, um, it's the middle of a donut all by itself. It's the belly button of the donut. <laughs> That's right. Okay. You can, you can buy them at, at Tim Hortons. They're like um, donut holes, basically. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Don't, okay, got it. Okay, I know what a donut hole is. Yeah, it's just the name brand for. Okay, got it. You but you but like, they 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 now opened up a Tim Hortons in the Twin Cities. I haven't been to it yet, but uh, they've got good coffee. Yeah, get ready. Yeah, I, I know we. Ha- I think we had that discussion before. Yeah. All right. So um, yeah, I, I'm very intrigued by the whole um, 
How do we spell that, by the way? Which one? Cobol. Cobold. Is it Cobold? Cobold. K O B O L D. Like, like, yeah. Yeah, like a monster, right? Like a little. Yeah, yeah, or or like the fairy. Yeah. Is it a fairy? Yeah, kobolds are a type of fairy. Yeah, underground mining fairy. Yep. Really. I, I, I mean, oh, well, the D&D conception, you know, kobold is a scaly right. monsters. Yeah, that that's kind of overplayed now. I mean, the original is, yeah, it's a basically a type of underground fairy, like a dwarvogar. dwarvgar. Yeah, right? a sprite that says you're right. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, I mean, they are kind of dwarves in a certain sense. They're sort of like uh, dwarves, I guess. But there was, um, there was a recent book I was listening to that had kobolds as uh i don't even remember what book it was it must have been last week uh it had kobolds as a sub creation of humanity but whatever book it was we read last week paul probably oh uh, I, I was i wasn't on the podcast last week. well that's probably why, that's why. <laughs> I, I, I you do you did peter beagle last week no it didn't happen oh. we're still waiting on that one. Oh. Uh, Oh, okay. that, that was Friday, but not... I don't know. Um, it, yeah, it was in Friday. Yes, yes, it was, it was. in Friday. It was. Yes, yeah. yeah, because they mentioned as yeah, one of one of the uh, engineered uh, branches of humanity. They do mention kobolds because yeah, they got four arms and they use mining and yeah, that's right. We never see them no. um, in the book, but they are mentioned uh, several times, at least twice, and uh, that was that was striking. Okay, so um. I, I, for a while, I, I'm listening to the audiobook, so I, I wasn't sure how it was spelled, and I thought maybe it's Cobol, like by all the lords of Cobol. Cobol, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I wasn't entirely thrilled with some of this audiobook because they, I mean, Fist of Hawk, I mean, with all adding the extra clicks and the there's a lot of clicks, mm-hmm. and, and even using the name of click for the pack, it's like no, it's just pack, it's not clack, it's pack. It, 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 yeah, it, yeah, that 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 that, that did annoy me. I do notice that there is a subsequent version. I, I have two versions of this book as audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a third version also from Blackstone out. So uh, I would guess that that'd be a, the one to go for, given it's probably more available than the others. But um, that's by um, uh, one of their standard uh, guys for Larry Niven books. His name is eluding me right now, but he's very good. Mm. Uh, Maybe may, may be a better experience. I mean, I mean, I don't regret listening to this, obviously, because it's an awesome book. It's just like some of the diction really annoyed me. I mean, it, and it, it threw you off as to what the name of the little planet was. <laughs> yeah, it. Did, I mean, yeah, but, but but I also kind of wanted it to be Cobol, <laughs> because then it ties into Battlestar Galactica. Hmm. Um, and uh, which is also very biblical, right? That's that's the connection. Um, yeah, Basil Galactic is biblical slash Mormon. It is, but um, it's it, it goes Old Testament, right? The Lost Tribes of Israel sort of thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in this, it's Old Testament as well. And, um, I I think it's just the, I think it's a masterful novel. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly well put together um yeah when you're getting close to the end in there that war is coming that war is coming wait a second there's a fight just like there is i guess uh in the in the ring world engineers right sort of the the same sort of when he does the what when he does it in the ring world engineers it's kind of a re reprise of what we see here yeah 
and, yes. and, 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 and the protector Brennan loses for the same reason Tila loses because mm-hmm. he can't fight his relatives. Fighting to lose. Right, mm-hmm. fighting to lose. He can't mm-hmm. win. I, I think that that's um, pretty darn terrific. And if you if you think of, uh, which is kind of funny, you think of Ringworld as the the light, fun uh, novel rather than the hard SF novel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the hard SF novel, and it's. I think it has. Uh, just reading the ending again, I think it's the ending of this book is so good. Yeah, let's, I, I let's, did let's, too. I like that the, that it ended like that. Isn't that great? Yeah. Let's, let's convert an entire planet to protectors so we can fight the pack war fleet. Horror, right? The mm-hmm. horror. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's because the virus is going to kill everybody who's not the right age to be a protector. It's genocide. It's it, okay. Genocide. Genocide. Yeah. Okay. Genocide is not the right word because you're not killing all humanity. It's uh, it's basically just, well, it's a planetary genocide. It, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> planetary kill off of. Everybody who can't be a protector for whatever reason, and the ones that had children, they they um, killed too because they, they killed those. Yeah. Right, so they so they would fight for humanity, not for. But it's not just it's not just such a terrific like the the that whole last little chapter right where, um, it's he gives the summary of what they did what they do on what um, what's his name? It's not Brennan's guy. What's his name? I've forgotten it. Just a minute ago, I had it. His ends, his descendant, Roy Truesdale. Roy Truesdale. Roy, right? So, Roy gives the summary of what happens after he transforms into a protector, um, what he does to the planet home, how he tricks the uh, the nurses into, uh, you know, not worrying too much about him, mm-hmm. and then uh, how details how they even uh, set up fake cities all over the world yeah all over home and then put like little fusion reactors in them to make the uh Pistopoc think that they're uh, the or pack, the pack yeah. think that that the world is in, fully inhabited with regular breeders right and that's like that's like what they did during uh world war ii in england right they they, they put Patton in charge of a whole army that's just inflatable tanks yeah, I've heard right. that story. Yeah, right. So that when the when the uh, Nazis fly over, they take photos of endless and endless endless rows of tanks just ready to pour into Calais, right? Instead of uh, across into Normandy. Huh. The, there's um. It, it, that's you know all this sort of high level uh, think it through uh, stuff going on right in that last little chapter. And you think, oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, I guess that's a summary of the story. But then, then the last final paragraphs are, you know, there's a page break. It says, it seems only reasonable to novelize this report. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Right? We understand. We get the framing, finally. We finally get the framing. And and he says, uh, but the pack fleet remains ahead of us. And although the scouts are gone, that was fun, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's what protectors like to do. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I, I've never met uh, the characters in the first part of this novel. <laughs> but you can assume they're about right. Um, of, of course, I'm capable of lying. 
but why would I, right, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then the final uh, three paragraphs, it goes, uh, um, if we lose one or another battle, why some survivor will beam this back at every world in human space, in which case Brennan must have f- hidden flasks of virus labeled where they could be found. Check the duplicate Stonehenge. I'm, I'm headed there right after this podcast. <laughs> it's called, it's called for, Cardhenge. It's in Nebraska. <laughs> there you go. Look for a package orbiting a blob of neutronium. Failing that, the cargo hold of Fistopok's ship is available on Mars. Check the walls for scrapings of root with dormant tree of life virus in them. Failing that, home is in rotten shape for colonization. Yeah, after it was just destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but its atmosphere is still thick with the tree of life virus. Do not convert anyone to protector if he or she has children. You'll be smarter than they are. You can whip them. But don't wait. If this reaches you, then a packed fleet that was tough enough to destroy us is following just behind this laser pulse at near light speed. Now move. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. I love I you. I love you. I love you. Oh, what an ending. Man. <laughs> I love this book because it's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. But and... Sorry. But there isn't – we don't get another pack human fleet, pack fleet human war until until these newer novels where uh, – this newer novels that Libby's been writing recently. So – and there's never a mention of the pack again. So the novel's wrong. The, <laughs> no, but, Paul, I'm headed to – the stone elm, the duplicate stone stone right after the podcast. No, 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 I'm no, 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 what I'm saying is he never wrote another pack versus human novel. We didn't because we won. Novel. Well, well, no, well, we the, lost. We lost because the the, the, nebul- the message comes back, but we never actually he never actually picks oh, it up right. in the rest in the rest of his solely written known space because we go from here from protector to. Uh, the Beowulf Schaefer stories, and then eventually to the Louis Wu stories, and there's never a mention of a pack war with the humans. So they broadcast the message back anyway, even though they won. Now in I think it's Betrayer of Okay, okay, the list the listeners the listener who had criticized me before is gonna <laughs> upset again. I believe it's in Betrayer of Worlds, one of the newer novels he co wrote with somebody, there's a a fight with a pack fleet. But that's, you don't need it. This, this that's what's so great about this book, right? Is that uh, all that stuff, like the middle chapters with the space war between uh, between Brennan and uh, Truesdale against the scouts, mm-hmm. that um, is enough space battle to have killed actual space battle novels that are that aren't the sort of the crappy um, sp- space opera kind, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, what, I, I, so, I, I want to pick up on that when you finish with that for a sec. Go ahead. Sure. So it, what's so cool about this book is, right, is beyond it's got this amazing idea uh, at its at its beginning. It's got I mean, it's it's got clunkiness to it as well. But I think it's, you, you know, you can look past that. Uh, the idea that, you know, we're space seeds or whatever. And then. But yeah, but, we're not, yeah. OK, we'll come back. Yeah. I mean, there's there's problems with that. Uh, just biologically that are bullshit but uh, i have something to say about that too (laughs) but but um after that you've got the this highly motivated character that's very deeply uh well 
species that's very deeply uh, reasoned behind why everything works that way is awesome. And their confrontation with with uh, a quasi relative mm-hmm. <laughs> is awesome. And then we get these um, space battles that are. As far as I can tell, you know, beyond the made-up technologies that allow them, physically accurate. As in, they are 100%, unlike Star Wars, where, you know, you've got an X-Wing fighter or a TIE fighter banking in outer space. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like it's using its its, uh, ailerons to maneuver through a... Vacuum. It's it's basically a World War II movie uh, with... Instead of Spitfires, they're X-Wings, right? We we all know that's bullshit. There's not... We love it anyways, but it's 100% bullshit. Um, this is exactly the opposite, right? Their spaceship doesn't look cool. Mm-hmm. It's functional. Their, their weapons aren't cool-sounding. They're functional. And when, he, when Brennan gets uh, an old-fashioned pistol or rifle... And shoots at their alien spaceship, and Brennan says, "Why, why, why did you bother to do that?" Um, and he says, "Well, that's it's steel jacketed." Um, and he says, "Yeah, but it, you, where you're aiming is not where the ship will be, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're flying at whatever speed." And he says, "You'll work it out." And just <laughs> just about the time I'm working it out, he explains it, and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> right, I yeah." He sucked it into their uh, magnetic field, and that. Right, it did. It did exactly what he wanted to do. the The thinking behind what's going on in those space battles is enough and powerful enough to basically wipe out any other person's ability to write a novel that has anything like decent space battles in it. So they've everybody's just given up. <laughs> and I think that Larry Niven knows that too, and that's why he didn't write any more of it because it's useless. He he already. It's like. You don't redo it. It's it's good enough. When I, when I was reading it, I was I was thinking it's just like a big galactic chess game. Mm-hmm. And and then he called it poker. Like he just he he said sure. it's high stakes poker. Sure. Like it was yeah. just more more fun, even more fun for him than I was like imagining. I mean, there's very few novels written then or since that really work on a on a sublight relativistic sort of space right. battle and gets it right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the names. I remember a couple novels written about 10 years ago where we felt like this because they actually take into account fighting, fighting with relativity and, and dealing with uh, positional effects and, and, and we're not having X wings in space. Um, also reminds me of the old computer game rules of engagement where you mm. where while you have uh, warping in and out of solar systems inside a solar system everything is basically relativistic and you have to deal with the fact that where you see the fl- your enemy fleet now is not where they're going to be because you're getting old information and you have to deal mm-hmm. with the fact that you you have to play the game, and it was it's really it was a really challenging game. Like, okay, I'm seeing there, and they're heading this way. I have to go this way because even though I'm not seeing them there, that's where they're going to be, and that's where the battle's going to be. That's clearly borrowing from uh, from the battle that uh, Brennan and Truesdale do here versus the 
the pack scouts dealing with mm-hmm. where things are going to be whether versus where they are and dealing with all, all the tangles of relativity. You don't get that very often because it's difficult and it's hard to make dramatically interesting. It, Niven nails it here. But, yep. mm-hmm. but doing, doing that and making the reader understand and appreciate and finding it dramatic is, is a high trek. Yep. And I mean, what, 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 what's the point of most of it is not like typically when you get a book that is doing space battles, mm-hmm. it, all they do is they say, you know, I really I really liked uh, C.S. Forrester's novels. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's uh, line up two battleships in space and have them throw broadside cannons at each other. Right. There, there's whole. Many authors who have made careers out of that, not mentioning any names, but <laughs> that's basically what they do. Um, I want to. I want to point out, however, uh, I just tweeted this week um, a Frederick Pohl editorial in Galaxy Magazine from 1963, so four years before uh, the first ha- first bit of um, Protector came out mm-hmm. um, about um, a computer um, game called Space War, which is literally mentioned in this book. Um, Niven gives it a shout-out. Uh, if you type it into uh, oh, yeah. Wikipedia, Space War! Exclamation point is the game. I've played it. Uh, yeah, it, well, I mean, there's modern versions of it. I don't. I doubt you played it on the original. No, I, uh, I played it in the early 80s. When, yeah, you know, like on I played it too. Uh, but I had no idea that it was um, connected, but... I, I want to explain it for Misa, who probably had never played it. Given Correct. She's, um, but I wanted to tell you, you know, the game Asteroids? Yes. Um, it's almost exactly like Asteroids. Um, the difference is, in Asteroids, uh, you're shooting asteroids. <laughs> yeah. In Space War, it's a two-player game uh, with a sun or a uh, singularity at the center of the map. And... Uh, you control one ship and the other uh, player controls the other ship and you have to avoid hitting the singularity or the star, right? You're falling towards it. Um, and you also have to try and kill the opponent, which has a similar ship with similar possibilities. And that is what happens in this story as well, right? They're using gravitational effects to their benefit. They're outrunning or fake outrunning each other mm-hmm. and uh, firing weapons at each other. Yeah, you it's a space war. Yeah, you go warping around you go warping around the singularity, your bullets go curving. It's oh. I mean asteroids asteroids you can you play single player, which has the match of space where you need another human player to really make it work. But mm-hmm. yeah, but it's it's like yeah, it's it's totally uh relativistic fun I and mean, it's like it, it, it took me a long while to actually understand how to actually play and not crash into it's, things it's exactly the opposite of a of a you know traditional x-wing style game because yeah you're you can't you can't accelerate straight right you have to accelerate in a curve hmm. to avoid running into uh, a star and you can orbit and stuff like that but your enemy is also doing it so it's it holds that like even I mean that scene where Brennan says, um, "I'm gonna make a right turn in space," right? Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, that's impossible. He can't do that, and then he does it. <laughs> like, 
that's why Larry Niven's the best, right? <laughs> is because he says, I'm going to make something impossible happen. Um, and yeah, he makes up some technology that allows it to happen, but he isn't violating any of the laws of physics, right? He's playing with the laws of physics, and that's how he doesn't cheat, right? It goes right back to that Hal Clement uh, essay about what the game is yeah. between the reader <laughs> yeah. and the writer. I'm not going to cheat, but you're not going to see what I'm doing, right? Right? It's um, it's playing honest poker. <laughs> <laughs> And not not uh, hiding the cards. I mean, you, you don't show your cards, maybe, but you you don't uh, palm a card, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, you you said you had a problem with uh, the uh, the um, what's this space seed aspect of this, or maybe you didn't have a problem with it, Paul? Um, I didn't because. And spermia, I guess. Is. Yeah, the, because it's not actually said. I don't think it's it might be mentioned in one of the stories that, and but it's not one that. But Misa hasn't read World of Batabs, yeah. and so doesn't know. My my take is it's. I, I don't think it's actually completely spelled. It's something I pieced together. Is that all these worlds in known space? The reason why they all have DNA-based organisms is because of the slavers two billion years ago right, seeding right. everything with 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 their crap, and that's, I mean, the whole idea of Homo habilis being from the stars. Eh, I don't like that because you know well, it's fo- bullshit. That, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. The fossil evidence, the fossil evidence is completely against it. But the yeah. idea, the idea that the pack and humans. Both have uh, DNA and also the also the Zinti, the Tanakhtapan, mm-hmm. the the Bandersatch, the whole lot of them. The puppeteers are all DNA based. That that only problem with because the slavers the slavers did it. The slavers did it two billion years ago. Is a kind of uh, and, yeah. And, and, and there was and they even mentioned the slaver in the story. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. The sea statue. Mm-hmm. Yep, mice. Right. You haven't read this. You haven't read World of Patas. Which book yet. is okay? That's World of Patas. That's yeah. World of Patas. Yeah, that sea that sea statue they talk about. That's the slaver that they find. That's uh, before Ringworld, right? Um, yes, World of Patas is insane. because I thought I thought Protector was in the sixties. No. World of Patas in the sixties. Yes, before Ringworld. So uh, I'm not having read any of those. So yeah. I'm just looking at this one as it is. Yeah. Right. And. What I got from it was uh, a, a, an, an, a really interesting dissertation on, on free will versus determinism. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and what you have is these, these two um, divergent visions of, of, of creation, where one where the, where the God figure stays and, mm-hmm. and the other where the God figure leaves and, and how the one stagnates. Essentially, like, I mean, yeah, sure, they're smart and everything, but they never move intellectually. Yep, they can never progress. Where they, where, they, where they have their own free will. They're still animals. Evolve, right? They become smarter, and they will eventually come and and kill off the uh, the original one, which is interesting. And that's that's, uh, that's why that yep. image of the eye um, works so well mm-hmm. with uh, the Garden of Eden, right? He's, Brennan recreates the eye in in this the eye in the sky, right? Right. Uh, 
going back to a, a Philip K. Dick novel, <laughs> um, <laughs> where you know it's it's the eye of God. He sees all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when when uh, Adam eats of the tree of knowledge, right, he becomes ashamed of his nakedness and hides in a bush mm-hmm. from God. Yep. Right. <laughs> and then God's like, I can see you, you know. But, yeah, but the, but <laughs> I can the, see through bushes. <laughs> but the, see, but the other interesting thing about it about the human protectors is, like the original ones, they they can't see. There's no art. They're blind to everything except protection. That's right. Whereas Brennan can see. He he appreciates art. Mm-hmm. He he has a sense of whimsy. Like he's like a, a next level. Uh, yeah, he's a fun character. He's, he's a real really like fun. dynamo. Yeah. Right. And I thought I thought for a long time that that was it was a fake, right? That he's pretending to be um, whimsical and you know playful, just to make them feel it, um, to use. feel more comfortable. Yeah, and uh, there is that aspect to it, and you can't know, right? Because at the end, with with the um, Truesdale's protector, mm-hmm. it, he he's. He says, uh, he says something. I mean, that, that last line, I love you, yeah. right? He says, you, you know, you can't trust what we say. But on the other hand, um, you know, it's in, we're doing it because we're motivated, right? There's a motivation behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, so thinking about how Brennan interacts with the, with the people of, in the first book, you know, in the in the uh, adults, how he interacts with the with the belters. He says, "Take me to your leader." Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so playful. It is so playful, but also the the funny thing, other than the fact that it's funny, is he is their leader. Essentially, right. he says, "Like if right. the human race is going to fall apart, you've got to give them this route, and your leader will come." And he, so he is. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there was some, there was another thing that he said that I wanted to ask you about. Um, yeah. When the when he pays their fees, and so the name that they use for the guy that pays their fees, there were two: George Oldavi, which was so funny. Oldavi Gorge. Right? Oldavi right. Gorge. But the other one, I didn't, I wasn't sure what it was. It was Sea Creepmaster. Okay. Now I wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't if either of you knew. The only the only thing I could come up with was. I read somewhere that ancient hominids might have traveled the seas and ended up on Crete. Mm. Yeah. But I, I didn't know if there was anything else. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that one, but it, it could be a, a number of things. It's, it's funny because when I read this book the first time, um, it must have been right after Ringworld. I don't know, in the 80s. I was, I was like, this is an awesome book. And I don't, I didn't see probably half of the things that are going on in it. Um, just not having had life experience enough being, uh, still in the breeding stage or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not having read all, all the books in the library. Right. Um, and I'm still missing things, I guess, but, uh, damn, it's a good book. Okay. So I gotta, I gotta, I got, I have bunches of questions and points here okay so let me let me go with one so now that we've read Ringworld engineers mm-hmm. which retcons that the the protectors built the ring world 
some million years ago. But right. but Vistavok doesn't seem to know that. Well, that's a different library on the same planet. <laughs> I, no, no, no. You missed no, that book. The, it was the, under a filing cabinet. So it looks like there were at least two expeditions. We have an expedition to Earth, and then yeah. we have an expedition where the protectors went to Star X, built the ring world, civilization fell because, because of the tree of life being exterminated. Yeah, it's always their Achilles heel. That, that, that is the, that, that is, there's Achilles heel, which is, which is mm-hmm. now that we've seen, now we've, now you've seen protector, you can see the ring world engineers being that echo. Mm-hmm. And then of course, that's why, that's why it's not a good book, right? It's all echoes. It, it, it's all, it is. Echo, yeah. That, that, that's the problem with the ring world. It's engineers. not that it's a bad book. It's just that we didn't need it. Right, we, had, we needed this book. Yeah, we did. We we, yeah, we, we needed Ringworld. We needed this book. We didn't need Ringworld engineers. It fuses the two, and it yeah, it doesn't quite look fine. Now, now, but here's 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 something else that he doesn't explicitly tell us, but I think I figured out. Um, when Truesdale and uh, his uh, Belter girlfriend, who fortunately gets Alice. Alice, thank you. My my bad. My I, Alice I, in Wonderland, by the way. Alice in Wonderland, but she doesn't see <laughs> right. very long, and she gets shunted back to the belt. What, what, and by the way, I, I was really happy with the females in this book. I was um, too, and the, yeah, and but not that of, there were that many, but yeah. No, sorry, Paul. When you're finished, I'll say whatever. Yeah, no, no, go go finish that. Then I want to go back to the point. So go go. What you say about Alice? Oh, I was going to say that um, uh, Cobalt, which was this little Eden. He had his two humans, Alice and, and Roy, and she left yep. pregnant. Yep. That's right. Oh my god, it was, yes. It was uh it was the it was Eden go go pray, says the god, right? Uh, go play in the field, uh-huh. says the god, right? Yeah. Uh, but do not touch, right? Exactly. And then he says another thing I, I totally missed when I was reading it the first time. He says, uh, tell her about the bluebeard myth. Yeah. Right? Um, and you guys know about the Bluebeard? Yeah. Uh, yeah no. Do you know this one, Misa? No. Okay, so Bluebeard is a series of connected, well, I don't know. Bluebeard is the most famous of the versions of Grimm's fairy tales in which there's a character, uh, usually called Bluebeard, who who marries a girl and says, uh, I'm leaving for a while. Uh, here are the keys to every room in the house. Uh, but do not use the littlest key and do not go into that room. And of course, as soon as he leaves, she goes into the room. Yeah. And in there, in various, there's different versions of this, but the version I read, I guess most recently, she goes in there and for some reason he also tells her to carry an egg, um, mm-hmm. which is very nice and symbolic. Mm-hmm. He carries an, she carries an egg and, and she goes in there after, by the way, her previous sisters have all died, uh, having married somebody with a blue beard. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, she goes in there car- carrying the egg, and inside the room, there's like a bathtub full of cut-up body parts and oh. her sisters. Oh. Uh, who are the cut-up body parts? Um, and she's supposed to drop the egg, um, and that that will be Bluebeard's n- knowledge that she has discovered his awful secret. He's testing her to see how loyal she is. <sighs> yeah. And um, every time he marries a woman, she fails the test. Right? right. The egg comes back uh, broken and her dress is stained or whatever. Right. So yeah. she, it's, it's about um, female fidelity or whatever. But she uh, in this version, 
one of the versions I read, she puts her sisters back together again, hides them in an upper room of a castle of the castle, and um, didn't drop the egg, and they escape and come back and burn down um, the Bluebeard's house. I think this, uh, that version is called the Castle of Murder, which is awesome. awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, you know what um, an egg is, right? Uh, well, what? Tell me. Wait, was it a chicken is a way to make another, an egg is a way to make another. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right from uh, the, the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think just the the awesomeness of that, him quoting that line, uh, tell, tell her about Bluebeard, um, is that you don't want to open that door, right? You do not want to open that door. I'm telling you, you do not want to open that door. And of course, that's what God says, yeah. right? In the Garden of Eden. You do not want to eat of that tree. You do not want to eat of that tree. Don't Trust me on this. Do not eat of that tree. And then, actually, it's those two trees, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's two um, trees in, yeah, in Eden, one tree here. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, do not eat of the root. Okay, so go, going way back to what I was saying before. Okay. Sorry, Paul. Okay, no, 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 we, okay so, so at one point there, so Truesdale and Brennan have a conversation about why why uh, Brennan's been bringing people here over and over over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and Brennan won't tell him and says to Truesdale for him to figure it out. And Truesdale says he figures it out, but he doesn't give the solution. And I think I know what the solution is. Let's hear it. The solution is that Brennan's been bringing his descendants here over the years as a way to remain sane because this way he knows he has his line is still continuing because he is a protector with descendants and a protector without descendants and without contact with the descendants stops eating and dies. So over over the last two centuries, he's been bringing everybody who's been kidnapped has been a descendant of Brennan. And, yeah. just and that's why they're rich too that's never stated in the novel right mm-hmm. oh, it, that's right. why the, the grandmother's so wealthy right Right. yep and that why they're so prosperous yep he, mm-hmm. he, he, he's, been far- he's been farming and cultivating and taking care of his descendants for the last couple centuries just like a good protector should mm-hmm. yep. and a false protector who doesn't have to kill the rest of the planet but that uh, the 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 truth behind whether it's a true or a true or a lie, right? Unless unless you think it's all a big game, um, that Brennan is just knows humans well enough that he's manipulating us from beginning to end. Is that he's playful uh, in in his his play? <laughs> so, for example, giving him the name Vanderveken. Right, mm-hmm. eventually leads to the finding of Vanderveken, um, because it's a fake name. Right, he could have chosen, you know, John Smith, and that wouldn't have helped at all. Right, but he instead he jo- he chose Vanderveken, which gives you the the message uh, that he's going for, which is he's he's pl- being playful. He's the mystery. He's making a myth that he can enjoy for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that the idea that that he's doing that because that's that's what a human protector who's who had consciousness before being changed right is different than right. a regular so that's protector. the difference he has yeah. consciousness before being changed right right and we 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 hear that in in ring world engineers too right the that the the vampires get their consciousness when they're transformed right because they're not 
not just mm-hmm. as vampires. They're right. And the question is, does it does it help? Like, does it help you as a protector to have this whimsy? Because uh, I guess <laughs> the the jury's out, right? Does d- Brennan manage to defeat the scouts with the help of Truesdale? And Truesdale seems to be of sending a message of despair. But he, so, that's before he's a protector. No, after, no. After, no, the end, he's talking about those last paragraphs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, In the no. last paragraphs. Oh. The back is coming. Get ready. That's right. If you're receiving this message, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, right. I love you. Um, it's like, I'm dead, right? Or I can't help you anymore. But, um, yeah, the, the real invasion... Now, thinking about the known space timeline again, that actually comes after Protector would be the Zinti. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking right, like... Right, right, right. So that's where... Uh, each each, said, each, yeah. of the, that's, that's, each of the alien species has its own quirks, right? So the problem with the, with the pack is that they're like the Modis. And this is... I don't think there's a book you've read, Misa. Um, the... Uh, Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! The, oh yeah! Moton God's Eye. Yeah. The, uh, with Larry, oh, no. Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell book. Really terrific book. I heard it's amazing. It is. It's very hard. Like this one. It's. It's got like, just hard lessons, and you, you don't like thinking about <laughs> genocide because it makes sense, but, mm. um, because I, it seems quite unreasonable. But uh, when he puts it in the argument that way, and when you look at human history, you okay. He's probably right. Um, not a good thing, but he's probably right. Um, so when, when the Modis are doing stuff, they don't do stuff, um, out of, uh, a sense of whimsy or artistic choice, right? It's, it's, it's motivated by sort of needs in the same way that the pack are. Mm-hmm. But with Brennan, um, painting his, his, uh, suit, right? His space suit with, um, him cultivating this garden world. Uh, biding his time, he doesn't need to make a, a garden paradise, right? No, uh, it doesn't have he to be. Doesn't need a medieval castle on it, right? right. I mean, these—you uh, could say that, that those are the. Um, he's doing that for his progeny to come visit, so that they're amused and uh, and that that helps him. But I don't think, I think, I think deep down the point is is uh, art's good. <laughs> I think that's the point Larry Niven's making mm-hmm. on top of all of the uh, arguments against it, which which is there's very little free choice if you if you're smart enough. Right. And that's See, right? The if, that, that to me, what I was having big questions about that, because because the tree, the root of life reminded me very much of uh, Tila Brown's luck. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, they're they're intimately tied. He's he's thinking about this exact the, same subject. It's aren't the they? same yeah. subject, which, which is being so. With the, the root is is being perpetuated by a virus, and the virus doesn't really do want anything except to reproduce. To reproduce, so like it's colonized these packs, and col- the, right? Yep. So there's very little um, re- reason, you know, mm-hmm. beyond. Another route, another and and what what is smartness except efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, saying we need to get across a uh, country in a certain amount of time, uh, using as little fuel as possible. You know there aren't uh, there's not a lot of creativity in the route. No, right? 
I, you can't uh, meander if you want to be efficient. And being efficient is getting stuff done, protecting. I mean, I, I've been struggling with the idea why, why some people seem crazy, like they they just want to have more money all the time. I don't understand that. But then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I, I guess that makes sense. And what is money anyways, right? So it's really, it's deep. It's hard to figure out what money is. But I, a while ago, I settled on the idea it's kind of food. Money is food. Because you can use it to get food, but you could also use it to keep your food safe. Right? <laughs> you can buy a, a barn and you put your food in the barn, right? And then uh, that keeps your food better. Um, so why why does a person like Donald Trump need more money? I mean, he was born with, uh, you know, two hundred million from his dad in his pocket, right? Why does he need more money? Um, well, if he's operating as a logical creature, um, even if he doesn't know why he's doing it, it's to make his progeny better off after he's dead. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the, the, he seems to have affected that. I mean, it's possible to reach too far and maybe have the adverse reaction, um, you know, that everybody wipes out his children as a result of his, you know, yeah. sort of gross uh, taking away. But it worked for Genghis, you know. <laughs> uh, if you look at the gene, g yeah. the genetic stuff, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Him accumulating all that money. And uh, myself, I received an inheritance when I was very young. Uh, from a relative I, I never met. Um, and it was proportional to my relationship in distance from the relative. So mm -hmm. other people who were close, more closely related got more money. And I was like, well, where did, where did that formula come from? It comes straight out of the genes, is my thinking. Right? The reason people do these things is because, I mean, that's what's so profound about this book is is he's dealing with a really interesting idea of what, what motivates people. Mm -hmm. Biological determinism. Biological determinism. And, and when you don't have kids, like I don't, right, um, what, what keeps me uh, going? Why don't I just uh, kill myself? Because everyone needs motivation, right, to keep living. Why don't I stop eating, as the pack would say, right? Yeah. Um, and or, you know, fall into despair or, you know, grasp after fake, uh, you know, visions of punishment uh, for not going for not following some set of rules. Like if if you don't believe that uh, you get punished by going to hell for killing yourself, then, well, if you do believe it, then you would maybe not do it so that you don't, you know, mm -hmm. but you might put yourself in harm's way. And I think a lot of people do that. They have as the psychologists termed it originally, a, a death wish, right? They're, they don't like being alive, and they're trying to manipulate the circumstances so that they will die. Um, but I don't seem to have that problem, and I think it's partly because, like uh, Fistapak, <laughs> instead of making uh, my own children the beneficiaries of my, my wisdom and goodness, I'm like, no, it's everybody, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the children. And so I, I like... It's it's insane that I spend a lot of hours every day uh, working on the public domain PDF page. I, I think, oh, I'm doing it for me. But actually, it's not that's not can't be who it's for, right? Because I can't read all the stuff that I already put up there. There's not enough time. But I'm doing a service, and most people don't care. And it's, it's okay. I'm still motivated. 
I was downtown <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. And there was a guy on the Danforth, which is a street in Toronto where they have all kinds of Greek restaurants. It's very posh, hip street. Mm-hmm. Not posh, but it's hip. It's hip, like fun. Anyway, there was this guy, and he was he had a, a on his iPhone. He he had big band background music and and a big um, speaker, and he was he was channeling Frank Sinatra. And like he was doing a great job, he was. And so I went over there, and and we made a request, and we we wanted to give him some money. And he said, "I'm not doing this for the money. I'm mm. doing this because I love it. Mm-hmm. Just just what you're just saying, like it, because I can." Yeah, yeah. Like and, like yesterday, I went. Yesterday afternoon, I went up to uh, Jay Cook State Park. I haven't processed the pictures yet, but I don't expect to sell any pictures. I will. Mm-hmm. I will. I will share pictures online i would be nice if i could sell some pictures and make some money but am i i'm not i'm not sanguine about that <laughs> but i don't do it because i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna take this shot and sell a hundred prints of it yeah that's not quite how it works it i mean it'd be nice if someone said yeah i would like to buy a print of that but otherwise i'm taking the pictures because i want it i enjoy the beauty and i hope other people will that's it's mm-hmm. so, self-directed you know, uh, I, I think a lot of this comes up because uh, it's my understanding that the same circumstances that are described uh, in the novel are actually Larry Nivens as well. That he was born uh, into a family, and I believe this probably right on the Wikipedia entry. I read it years ago, but it's probably right there. Um, he was born into a family that was rich and that he didn't need to make a living like, like uh, Truesdale does. Right, he he could make a living if he wanted to, and it wouldn't hurt. But he needed to find a motivation. Or is that Truesdale, or is that the? Yeah, that's Truesdale. Yes, oh, Truesdale. It's no, no, it's, no, it's Truesdale because Truesdale loses right. his loses his inheritance, and oh, then, yeah. he's not right. a main character. He's yeah. the hiker, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Right. The, the novel sort of has two parts, so <laughs> I'm getting a little bit confused, but. Um, he he has this inheritance that comes in that's going to provide enough. He also has that um, annuity that comes in, right? Mm-hmm. That's promised. Right. Um, that's very much, I believe, Larry Niven's background, and that's I mean that's a very unusual background for most people. They don't have, uh, you know, anything like a um, trust fund, a trust fund behind them, um, and so when you look at his life. As uh, Larry Niven's life, I'm not going to psychoanalyze it too much, but um, what did he do with it, right? He he went to university, studied a little bit, and then just started writing science fiction, and and that's basically it. And he didn't do it for money in any sort of typical sense, because if you look at the people who who write SF for a long period of time, often they sort of get in bed with um, things that we would say, mm, don't do that. You know, like I, I love Greg bear. I really like his early writing, but the man sold out, right? He, he started writing halo novels and look, everybody's got to put food on the table. I understand yeah. that, but honestly, he's not, he's not, he's not putting his effort into that. I mean, how could you, even if you do, it's a fucking halo novel, which is a fucking rip off of Larry Niven. <laughs> And, um, you know, this is the guy who wrote Blood Music, which is a kick-ass book. But Blood Music don't put money on the table. I, I understand that. Yeah. But with Larry Niven, 
right? Yeah, he 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 did a little bit of Star Trek, I guess, uh, with the animated series. He's done a few things here and there, but his work is playful mm. all the way through. And yeah, he, he rubs people the wrong way. Doesn't cultivate maybe the uh, following that uh, more popular SF writers do, but the reason he has the renown that he does is because when he writes a book, it kind of has, um, I don't care about X quality or Y quality. I only care about whether the the piece is going to be the best piece it can be. I, 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 yeah, maybe the, I'm the, reading too much into no, it. But the, that's, the, no, you, now you're making me want to, because too many books, too little time. <laughs> it was like about eight, seven years ago. He wrote, he co-wrote, a couple of books with Gregory Benford and I haven't had a chance to read them. Just mm. yeah, the bowl of heaven. Basically he goes for another big dumb object, but by having had a chance, I, I know I have it on my Kindle, but you know, too many books, too little time. He seems mm. willing to collaborate with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. He's, he's collaborated with anybody, anybody, the, everybody, everybody, the, the Moten God's eye. Oh, here's the point I want to say. That was, that came out like a year or so after protector. So if you took the protectors and split them into the masters and the warriors of the moats, mm-hmm. basically. So basically you have two casts and we might be spoiling this for my bit in case we actually do the moat in God's eye. Is there, you know is there audio you version? You can't actually spoil it without actually reading the book. Yeah. That's, the, that's the real truth because uh, honestly, I read, uh, I read Protector and I remembered it. Oh, I actually read it and then I read it again and I'm still surprised. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I was too. Some time has passed and without actually going through it personally, experiencing it word by word, you don't, it, there's no spoilers. Mm. Yeah, you're right. We're going back, we're going back to the spoiler problem again. Okay. Okay. So, so, so scratch that. So I think he was playing with some of these ideas again in helping design the aliens with Pornell and just, just, just took it in different I ways. I agree. Um, I wanted to read this little um, – I didn't do a lot of in-depth reading on other people's reviews, but I did look at Goodreads just to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let's see. I didn't I – didn't, yeah, it's it's well-reviewed. There's, there's 168 reviews and 7,000 ratings or whatever. But um, I wanted to read from this guy's because I think he just put it exactly right. Uh, some guy named Dirk Grobelar. Larry Niven proves a point here. Most of the authors would be tempted to tell a story of this magnitude in a trilogy consisting of thousands of pages. Niven does it in a little over 200 pages. Yeah, 218 pages, right? Granted, he keeps the the featuring cast down to only a few individuals, but still. And that's basically the review, (laughs) right? Yeah, Joe, Joe Walton. I found Joe Walton's review. You, you, oh. you both know who Joe Walton is, right? Yeah. She, 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 actually, she just won a Skylock Award. This what, what was her novel that uh, uh, I think we did a show on? Did, I can't remember. Did you? Um, among did o- a, I'm pretty sure. Among Others? Among Others, that's okay. the one. Okay, so it's I, I, basically, you know this book, Misa? No. It's basically a review. It's, it's a girl with fantasy powers who likes science fiction books, and she reads a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And reviews them. And, and fantasy books. <laughs> Okay. And reviews them in the novel. It's not really a novel as much as it's a, it's an excuse to have a character enjoying a whole bunch of novels. <laughs> from, from the 80s, yeah. But anyway, so 
So she's so so she, she has this review of Protector, and she puts out: Is it just me, or are Nibbin's best characters always aliens? When I think about his characters, it's Speaker to Animals and Nessus I like from Ringworld, and Spistafak I like here. All his ca- human characters blur together, but his aliens really stand out. Maybe it's because he has to make an effort to get into their mindset. And then he goes. She goes on to mention that Brennan Monster is an alien and is another terrific character. So. Mm-hmm. I think she's True. got a point. Yep. Niven's aliens are better than his humans. I mean, I mean, you, you, not, not not to psychoanalyze you, Jesse. You had to think. I had to remind you it was Truesdale, but we we all remember Brennan because Brennan turned yep. into the protector for most of the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I don't think that that's wrong, but that's why I like reading science fiction too. Is is that it isn't you know a costume drama with somebody worrying about their you know their husband cheating on them. I I don't like that i uh, they're all the same (laughs) i want to see it from an alien perspective and that's that's the challenge that john w campbell threw down right uh write me an alien that thinks uh as well as a man but not like a man Mm -hmm. yeah and um uh how clement picked it up and said here you go right right and then uh larry nivens read that and said okay i can do some too (laughs) And Isaac right. Asimov did that in the gods themselves, and mm-hmm. it's 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 a very hard, hard tightrope to walk to make an alien that you can relate to, and still is not somebody with uh, funny ears on. Mm-hmm. So, have hard. you guys? I want I want to throw this just off off course a little bit here. Um, there's logic to my madness, though. Uh, think about it, as as Brendan would say, the monster. Um, uh, do you guys see the movie Arrival yet? Because I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's excellent. Okay, all right. I'm I'm thinking about read reading the story and then watching the movie. Um, they're they're kind of different. I that's why I like like I I hear that the movie's good and I hear it's smart. So yes, that's what I like. Um, I bring it up because uh, Ted Chiang, who is one of the few people who is alive. Uh, other than Larry Nippon, I guess, um, who I really like his stuff. You know, most people, I'm, yeah, you're alive. You, you wrote a book. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if they're alive and they're writing a book and it's, I'm excited that their new book is out, that's very rare. Um, Ted Chang is one of these guys. And uh, one of his stories um, is, it's kind of like um, a ripoff, well, it, it got ripped off into the movie Limitless, if you guys remember yeah. that movie. Yeah, I remember the movie. Very fun movie. Um, also, which was turned into a television show, which made no sense. Yeah. And then, and then I don't know if the show got past the first few ones, but I, it's, it's just been, like... It's been canceled, these, I think, since. I, as it rightly should be. Um, all of these shows where they say, hey, you know that great property that was a movie about 10 years ago that did really well? And since we have no other ideas, we're going to make a, <laughs> a, a television spin-off of it. And how we'll completely subvert the entire point of the movie so that we can continue with the premise. Uh, like Minority Report as a television show. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, like, um, please. Limitless is a nice little ripoff of a story by um, Ted Chang. Ted Chiang called Understand. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a terrific story uh, about a guy who gets into a, uh, a swimming accident. 
uh, I guess, or he drowns and he gets brain damage from it, that he survives. Um, and the, the doctors who are experimenting on him try and give him treatment, um, regrow brain tissue that had died and it increases his intelligence. Oh. Uh, he comes back from, you know, sort of the subconscious, right, uh, that we see in a story like uh, protectors, you know, the, and and I guess, uh, and better maybe better expl- excl- ex- explicated in um, Ringworld Engineers, uh, where you know you have you it's the uplift right from being sort of an unconscious animal aw- awake but unconscious in a certain sense mm-hmm. to becoming a conscious animal right right he. he was a human who had consciousness, got into this accident, and became basically a vegetable, right, as we would call it. And then he is brought back. But instead of just being smart, like in, um, I guess, what's the story, Flowers for Algernon, right, where he Mm -hmm. goes from being dumb to being smart. Um, This is Ted Chang's version of that, I guess. Um, He becomes super intelligent, right? And he becomes so smart that um, he can basically solve all his problems, you know, become rich, just like Brennan can, can, you know, manipulate human society in the background without even it being mentioned in the book so that we know that his progeny, his personal progeny, are doing well mm. and flourishing um, and are protected, right? Uh, this character in Understand does the same thing. Um, with his own, you know, understanding of reality. And then he becomes aware that there's someone else who is intelligent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not because he's met them, but because he can see the manipulation happening, you know, reading the newspaper. You know, it's that scene in Sherlock, all the Sherlock Holmes movies where he makes a few connections here and there and he, he can see the pattern that no one else can see, right? Right. And that, that idea of being so intelligent, you you know what the right thing to do is, is very interesting. And it goes, and goes through this novel. It does. And, and then I was thinking about, uh, you know, all the politics and the failures of politics of people who think they're intelligent, who are running the world, who are actually running the world in the sense that they're the ones who start wars, right? Yeah. Typically, they think they're, they're really intelligent, but what they're actually doing is they're trying to manipulate things. They're trying to make things happen to their will. But that's actually the opposite of being really intelligent, right? Is So you don't – a smart person doesn't go into the casino and starts gambling unless they know they can win. Mm-hmm. And knowing you can win is actually winning, right? Not knowing you can win, right? It's actually winning. That's the test. And when you go into, uh, you know, Afghanistan and you – fight a war there longer than than uh, you fought in Vietnam for, which was a quagmire that they couldn't get out of, right? 1963 to 1975 or th- thereabouts. Yeah. That's that's a quagmire. The, the current quagmire, they're still in. They still, no plans to actually, like, you can't seem to get out. And what was the point of all that? All that manipulation, all of that struggle? It, that there's no intelligence there. That's the opposite of intelligence. It's a it's a lack of of understanding of what what you can get done. And so 
there's there's something he's I think Niven's right in a certain sense that the smarter you are, the less less options you have. The less free will you have because the less free will you have because you know what the right thing to do is. But but okay, uh, but on the other hand, and, and being smart in our terms is no, not knowing that you don't know always what the right thing to do is. Right. Right. On the other hand, rather than knowing, oh, this is a good idea. Let's invade Iraq. Yeah. Or whatever it is. On the other hand. Brendan, Brendan is not as bound as Fistafak is to always do only the rational, mm-hmm. ra- rational thing at the expense of every other virtue. Brendan, as we pointed out, shows whimsy. He has fun. He built a golf course that Truesdale can't play, but I'm sure Brendan plays the hell out of that that crazy <laughs> golf course. Yeah, I'm not sure that he does. See, I think well, he, well, why, he why could. Is why would he, yeah. Well, that's that. I think that's the point, right? So I don't think that Brennan ever played – not that we can ever know, right? I, I don't think Brennan ever played the golf course. Oh. And the reason is that's like a sculptor uh, sculpting a Barbie and then playing with the Barbie. But he could have. He, uh, of course. He did it in his mind. As, mm. he's, as he's making those you know, gravitational curves that make it a hard game to play even yeah. though it looks like kitty golf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying this would be, this would be good. And this would be good, and this would be good, and this would be good. And then having thought those through and made it as a sculpture, right, as a piece of art, what I mean, think about how we see Brennan when he's interacting with the with the Adam and Eve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's very calm and very nice, like a genial uh, father. And then what does he do as soon as the interaction's over? He runs. He runs, not because he needs to, but because he needs to, right? There's no reason for him to run off because, like, there's some something on the oven that he forgot about, right? Mm-hmm. Rather, there's no point in not running because the next thing that needs to be done is over there. And that, that's, that's the efficiency that we lose as adults or the efficiency we gain as adults that kids – you know, when you're a little kid and your mom uh, says, it's time for us to do X, Y, or Z now. Yeah, she'll spend time with you and play, pretend to play dolls with you or whatever it is, right? But when the exigencies of, of adult, you know, smartness, like we have to catch the ferry or mm-hmm. um, there's uh, food in the oven, right? Just being a smart adult means you wouldn't like, yeah, you you would love to buy dolls for your children and think about them enjoying those dolls, but you wouldn't actually play with those dolls. If you see what I mean? Uh, I think I do. Um, That's why it's called that title. The adults is so good, right? That when Brennan is making, I put away childish things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he appreciates all those things just as we do. Right. We like I literally have not sat down and played with Lego since I was a summer. There was a summer where I suddenly realized I couldn't play with my toys anymore. Yeah. And it's not that I threw the whole idea away, but I I have to find some angle to attack it in a certain direction. So what I typically do now is I buy Lego and then. As a reward, and I, I'm very happy to give rewards to my students, I let them open it up and put it together. And it puts a big smile on their face, and that makes me feel good. I can see them enjoying it, if you know what I mean. 
right? So I think that that's what's going on. The, the Brennan is, it's not that he's whimsically inefficient um, and that that's, that's uh, makes him smarter. I think it's just he, because he had consciousness of, of his childhood, mm-hmm. um, he can allow that to come out in his creations that are for a purpose, it's, right? It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hearkening back, yeah. Right? Think of, think of like, if I, I, and I know people do this, like, I collect uh, these PDFs, or, well, I collect ma- magazines, and then I turn them into product that I put out on the internet that I'm, I'm not going to read for myself. Most of them, I just can't. There's not enough time. But um, putting them out there, I, I, I could do exactly the same process and just not actually share them. Right, I could just put you them on the hard them, yeah. Uh, but th- that was that would be stupid. The whole point is to share it, right? Um, so there's something to what I think. That's why this is such a great book, is it really ponders these deep things. Did Did you think of Brennan like when you're when you're talking about that? You know, the father of the children and and all of that. I'm thinking the mother, actually. But mother, yeah. okay. I, okay, well, he, um, you know when um, that when when they talk about him and and his uh, his modified suit with the mother and child on it, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking of him, it's sort of in a savior. Like I was thinking, he sees himself as a savior figure. Yeah, um, yeah. He's the Madonna. He's the yes, yeah. Um, so. I, I don't think that the other pack protectors have that because they, they're more about exterminating and he's more about saving. Well, no, but he is an exterminator too, he right? Is, see, it's just, it's just, we don't see the, we don't see the other pack. Um, like, I think that they did the same thing uh, in their garden, right? Um, <laughs> they, they had an area of the planet that they put up to protect their, children and that in that garden there was x y and z right you know there's a bunch of playthings for the for the children and that the earth is basically or the soul system is brennan's plaything or brennan's garden yeah and, and he's definitely tending it um i mean he he sends the ice yeah he asteroids. says you haven't had war have you noticed you haven't had war yeah he said yeah you haven't had war yeah yeah he, he's been engineering He's been engineering Earth for a couple of centuries. Ever, I mean, he he exterminates the Martians. He's clearly manipulating That's true, things. He did. He's manipulating things on Earth. We haven't had war. He's he's working on the organ problem clearly, mm-hmm. because I mean, yeah, because the early Nimitz stories with the organ leggers and and that basically. Every and they even mentioned this in the story that oh yeah they they're, they're considering making some crimes not capital anymore because in in the in the future history of Niven almost all, all crimes became capital once once uh, transplant technology came to the point that people were valuable for their organs so you make people who run six red lights in a year. Right. That's mentioned in this book. Yeah, that's mentioned in this book. So he mentioned like financial crimes, didn't he? Were capital crimes? Yeah, everything's everything's a capital crime because those organs can make people live longer, and you wind up with uh, 
the strobe walks yeah. as a result. By the way, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but that that is what happens in China as well. Um, the the I mean, we don't the the, the people are executed for their organs. Right. This is not a I mean, they yeah. make things illegal. It, it's kind of a horror of the rationality of, you know, and yeah, it's it's horrible. But they they make crimes so that people can be really. Uh, yeah. Have their. But the, yeah, the technology for storing and using those organs isn't as advanced as it is in Niven's timeline, uh, thankfully. And it may never well be. I mean, we don't know. I mean, how yeah, yeah. I mean, organ rejection is a real thing. Right. right? In, in Niven's timeline, so, it isn't. They, they, yeah. they clearly lick that problem to the point that any organ can be translated into anybody. Therefore, people are valuable for the organs they have. Therefore, he's, just, he's a thoughtful. I, I never read any of those arm books, the uh, uh, organ legger books. Did you, Paul? I, I have. And there's there's one story I remember, the first story where where the guy uh, is, in, is in court. He's being sentenced. We don't know why. He's, he gets out. He smashes some uh, tanks because he says, if, if I'm going to go down and go down for a real crime, and then we find out, oh, yeah, he had been in court all along because of six traffic tickets, and that's why they were going to kill him. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, a little other nugget in here. You know, the RNA sequencing where it – prevents uh brennan from knowing that he had been on cobalt before mm-hmm. right that um that was really cool wipe your whole mind and just yeah he, he, he made a white a copy and then wiped his mind yeah. um that I, I think i tweeted you guys that that's the premise of um philip k dick's uh story paycheck yes so yeah so it's terrific a terrific idea for a story less a, a little too much action um, but uh, turned into a very mediocre movie. Oh. Uh, maybe one of the better uh, terrible movies of Philip K. Dick. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some really clunkers. That's not quite as clunky as some. It's of those. clunky, but it's not. It's not. Uh, it's a. It's a great idea. It was just you just wake up and you got you, you got paid for having done something for six months or whatever, and you don't know what it is, but take the paycheck. So oh, right? cool. Yeah, clever little. Uh, yeah. Bit. So, um, so going back, I, to, going I, I just want to connect that up to, I'm sorry, um, right. to the story Rammer, uh, which, oh, yes, gift from Earth. I, oh, yeah. I, was, I was just about to mention the novel that Rammer turns into. That's, that, yeah. that's, I was about to just mention a world out of time. Right. So, yeah, the, like, like this book, right. That had a novelette or novella as its, as its, uh, front piece. Yeah. Front, front piece. Right. Um, so, that one, Misa. I did read Rammer. You you read? Oh, you're right. That's oh, you read right. the story. You're right. Yeah. Right. Um. So that's the RNA sequencing, um, thing that wipes that guy's memory and and whether he has free will or not. I I think that this is a sort of a a theme that goes on in Niven stuff, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and and also uh, greater than human intelligence is in in the in the world out of time. Yeah. When he comes back to the solar system. Yeah, he 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 comes to a very changed solar system with some really strangely designed and evolved humans. I that's 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 another really good one of his. I would mm-hmm. say. It's good. Uh, I, I'm sorry. There was uh, 
Something else you were going to say before, Paul? Was no, that no, just I, about I, I, out of time? I, yeah, because I wanted to tie in because, like, speaking of greater than human intelligence is what about a world out of time? And you, you, mm. you came there through Rammer, so we hit, <laughs> right. hit exactly where we wanted to anyway. It was just kind of cool. Now, was that predetermined? <laughs> I, I don't know. But... We were manipulated into it, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's something, something good. I, I've read, I haven't read everything by Niven. I've read a lot. I read, um, there's a series of short stories called the Draco Tavern yep. stories. Um, and what I, he's got a lot of um, humor. There wasn't a ton of humor in this. This isn't a, co- a comedy book. Like, I almost think of Ringworld Engineers as sort of a, 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 a puff piece, right? The comedy <laughs> <laughs> sort of, I mean. He's, your drawing certainly suggests that. Yeah, well, he's, he's yeah. playful, right? He's playful um, with the names and the all that stuff. So um, in the Draco Tavern stories, they're all like that. They're very playful, sort of. Here's a uh, here's a problem of science, and uh, here's my solution. And of course, the solution is always ridiculous, right? Um, uh, you know, it's, it's like it's like you go into uh, a physicist walks into a bar, and the temperature is. Uh, Minus eighty-seven thousand degrees Kelvin, or whatever it is, and and then and everybody laughs, right? Because they they get that joke, <laughs> and then Niven will explain it to me. So I'm like, oh, I got it. Right? Have you explain it? Um, so there's a lot of jokes like that uh, in his his Draco Tavern stories, and those ones are also uh, that that there's a whole genre subgenre of of stories that are Bar stories. Yes, yes, um, Spider, by, yes, Spider Robinson yeah, does some um, Callahan books yep. by Spider Robinson, and uh, Lord Dunsany uh, may be the progenitor of that, um, of the whole thing. He had something called the Jorkins stories, which I've not read, but I know that uh, there was one uh, British SF writer who was very inspired by Dunsany, um, apparently wrote him, uh, and then started writing his own versions of the Jorkin stories. And that was Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, Tales of the White Heart, yeah. Tales of the White Heart, um, which are a whole bunch of basically scientists sitting around the bar uh, making jokes, uh, you know, like, uh, I went through I went through a dimensional shift and came back left-handed, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's all chirality jokes. Or like It's like, what? And then you can't have sandwiches anymore because... Uh, sandwiches have right chirality. I think there was even a mention of chirality in this uh, novel somewhere. You know how uh, you can have an two identical molecules with the same number of atoms, yeah. but they're in the opposite. They're in a mirror image of each other. Yeah. And uh, if you take uh, some drugs with mirror image, the chirality, they have yeah they the limonide problem yeah they they have very negative consequences. Huh. So, um, I think that the, I think that the Fistapoc did the uh, checked something about Brennan's uh, food supply in his kitchen, and just to see if it was it was uh, right, right, right. Yeah, it was he was yeah. he was trying to figure out if he was hum- uh, if he was pack or not, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, there's so much work. In in a that goes into a novel behind like into a novel like this, and it's so short that that's what makes it so good. It's it's the iceberg. Puffy sort of yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly exactly. 
right? It's not it's not light and fluffy and sort of a derivative of some other guy's uh, cute idea or scene. And, so I, and it's so wrapped up with other stuff he's done through known space. Known space is it's it's his playground, and he he has threads here going back mm-hmm. to going going back to the organ leggers to the world Patavs and going forward to the future to eventually uh that's just one of his right unlike Heinlein who sort of had one big one right um Niven's got a whole bunch he's he's got a whole uh whole other he's got a bush, he's got a, he's got bushes instead of a highway yeah and he has like um he has a he has he does these really cool weird fantasy uh, not weird fantasy they're hard fantasy. Oh yeah, stories. the magic goes away. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's uh, one is that is that the magic goes away. I read it in a magazine. Yeah, and it was it blew me away. I'll tell you about it, Mice. I don't think you've read a lot of Larry Niven. No. Um, the idea behind one of them, I think it might be the magic goes away, is that it's set on Earth um, in a time when magic was still viable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew that magic was viable because it was ever-present. Like, you could go around the world and you could always use magic. Mm -hmm. But as you use magic, um, uh, you are sort of depleting a natural resource that is in in the earth itself in specific areas. So, like, you're on on a side of a mountain and you say, you know what, I'm going to set up a... Uh, a windmill that doesn't use wind. <laughs> it draws water out into a gorgeous fountain or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So you set up this windmill using without wind um, or you set breezes blowing to make your garden pretty or whatever mm-hmm. and that will deplete the mana that is in that area mm-hmm. so that eventually if you're a wizard and you're flying over this this part of the earth using your magic carpet, suddenly your magic carpet doesn't work anymore and you plummet to the earth. You're in a dead spot. Yeah. Right. And so uh, one of the things he does in, in that, I think it's either the first story or novella or whatever, is he says, um, and back in these days, um, amoeba were the size of, of whales, right? <laughs> uh, because they're magical creatures. And now in these days, uh, our days, um, they have been reduced, sadly, to uh, you know, microscopic creatures cool. because that's how little magic is now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. yeah, isn't that great? That's yeah, great. I, I had a I had a sorcerer in a play by mail role playing game create a spell which depleted the mana in the local region. He called it a Niven disc. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. I was I was clearly hand waving right at this. Yeah. It, it, those, those stories are kind of sad because yeah. Once the world was full of magic, that the magic got all depleted and the magic wound, goes away. The magic goes away, <laughs> and we wound up with uh, ordinary stuff and the the bones of dragons, all the stuff that became fossils of dinosaurs and werewolves and magicians. All yeah, everything became mundane. It it, it th- those stories have a sense of tragedy to them that they're, they're this magic magical civilization and basically set around the time of Atlantis I believe it's like 12,000 years ago yeah it was all going yeah. to just revert to uh savagery the, the damn barbarians are going to win after all I believe one of these characters actually says and is there is this kind of a sadness to that that yeah and is but this... he goes through he goes oh, to all these saw experiments about how magic would hard magic would work and what happens when you use it up Hmm. So a little bit like the Goblin Reservation. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. I, I, I'm, that's a lot more playful. He, that's a lot more playful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
It's a more um, sedate sort of walking, enjoying the countryside, right? <laughs> Whereas uh, Larry Niven, yeah, he's a he's an efficient writer, right? I, I think that we can see that. Like I, I wasn't usually confused. Like I really like Bl- uh, Blood Music and Greg Bear's writing. Mm-hmm. He's a great short story writer. Um, and he does hard SF, right? It's really cool. Um, and sometimes I don't know what the fuck's going on because I just like the, it, it's too jarring. Like the transitions, it's clear to him he needs an editor who's tell him, you know, look, man, um, I th- I think what you're trying to say is this, but I don't think the reader's going to get it mm. um, because it's just he's just sort of. But Niven does the opposite. He guides us just the way. I mean, kind of in a more even better way than Clement does, I think. He's learned from Clement. Yeah. He learned from Clement. He built on Clement, mm-hmm. and and uh, and because he because unlike Clement, he's he will talk about sex. It has sort of a vitality to it um, that Clement's is a little bit too peaceful. The weather's a little too Clement in Clement's <laughs> world. <Clement. laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. And th- that was a fake name too, right? That wasn't his real name, Clement's real name. So that's why it's okay to use it that way and make fun of his name. <laughs> Harry Stubbs, I think it was. Right? Oh. In any case, I'm really glad we revisited uh, Protector. Absolutely. Protector, Me too. Yeah. Very glad. I got myself thinking if I'm the right age, if I was given Trier life now, I don't have any children. Unfortunately, I think my course of action, given the world today would unfortunately be rather clear. Stop eating? No. Take off to another... No, 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 no. Wipe out, wipe out half of humanity for reasons made known only to you. <laughs> yeah, starting possibly with the occupants of the White House. Oh! <laughs> seriously. I believe that can get you in trouble now in, it, in the New World Order. It, it might be, but yeah, so. But luckily, Tree of Life does not exist except in this novel, so we don't have that problem. <laughs> I, I can remain human and not a super intelligent, uh, lack of free will protector. Yeah, only looking out for the best in human, the best of humanity, and realizing uh, something's got to go. Uh, Micey, you're a mom, right? Yes. Um, do you? I, I I I don't have maternal feelings very much. I don't think because I'm not a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I like my students, but I also am glad to see them go. <laughs> I feel like no. that about my children too. Oh, really? Okay. Sometimes. Uh, but when you're when you're uh, a young mom and you've got this screaming red thing that came out of your body. Oh my God, uh, Jesse! Well, that's what they, they come out red, right? Yeah, and screaming. Yeah. And screaming, screaming. Uh, hopefully, they're screaming. Otherwise, <laughs> there's a problem. <laughs> Apparently, I was quite a, ch- uh, a quiet child myself they were worried about me but not anymore that's what my mom says now <laughs> you were so quiet as a child okay so um how close does the protector does the protector seem male or female uh, it, does it seem maternal uh, i guess the ones that we've seen other than the protectors uh, yeah um they're more like moms right like fierce mama bears I don't know. No. Um. Uh. I I don't I I I couldn't say that they were male or female really. J- j- I would stick with more genderless. 
Yes. I, yeah. Well, they they are gender. Uh, yeah. No, but I mean, like in terms of of maleness or femaleness. Uh, no, I mean like uh, they're more like moms than dads. Yeah, in the yeah. sense I don't know. I think mom wants to manip- more inclined to go and and like dad is standoffish. Mom's more like oh sweetie. Yeah. Oh like sweetie, that. but the mother's not going to go and and um, kill off the the uh, all the creatures that are coming to what she'll protect her children but i i don't see her killing off being so xenophobic no well i i i want to i was thinking about how that that would work and it's like i think it's not so much like you, you kill off your neighbors because they're threatening your children but rather you kill off the wasps that are that stung your children yes right like there's no question that they will die. Yeah, but that's but that's not how I read it. I read like warlike who couldn't even keep control of of whatever advancements they made because they kept killing each other off. Mm. Whereas I don't think a mother would do that because if in a from a mother's perspective, you want to perpetuate, you want to keep get, yeah. keep them going. So you're not going to kill off. You're not going to fight off your your hand. You know, to keep the bad well, guys away. I just wonder like. I wonder if, if uh, is Niven right that, that if you're because his thesis is basically unprovable. If you're smart enough, if you're if you're wise enough, if you're intelligent enough, is there fewer and fewer courses of action? Seems right to me. Seems likely to me. But what if you're not a man who's transformed into a protector? Uh, what if you're a mom? If you're a, a woman. You're then, a mom. Then not even and the a woman, thing is, a mom. Is, and in in we see that in Ringworld Engineers, right? Well, at least she's female. Yeah, but she's, she's not a um, mother. She's not a mom. But more importantly, like it's still written by Larry Niven. So we, you know, we're sort of stuck in our own genders and our own experience. But I don't think he's a mom. <laughs> Pretty sure Niven was never a mom. And I I got the sense that it was like. They're not dads exactly. They're more like grandparents, mm-hmm. really fierce Viking grandparents, right? They were more like grandparents, yeah. Yeah. Um, because they were but, farther removed from the babies. Right. But also they they want to be near the babies. Whereas, you know, I'm not saying the grandpas aren't, you know, kind and genial, but they are less standoff they're less standoffish than are the the grandmothers, in, in my experience, right? But yeah, but how many times did he say pack protectors have no free will? He said it over and over and over. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, but having no free will and being super intelligent, uh, but being motivated differently, should result in different results, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it does. That's that's the whole point. Is like why does why does the Brennan monster? wait so long to convert um uh truesdale into a protector because he knew that what would happen if he did it earlier and he needed to train him longer Mm -hmm. but he also liked spending time with him he did like spending time with him that was was such a good line when when, uh when truesdale said uh, when when the other when when people on home were turning over and he could finally speak to somebody and he said right Poor Brennan. Yeah, right. you stuck with you stuck with dumb Truesdale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like it's like that um, I could see as a mother. 
And yeah, so, so moms have that all the time, right? They say, you know, I've spent too much time talking baby talk with the kids mm-hmm. and need to talk to some adults, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and then and, they keep yeah. doing it anyway. Yes, it's, in, in it's that very way. interesting. Yeah, and because they are genderless, I mean, as they they're transformed, we we keep sort of as an honorific, we call them whatever gender he was in the first place. Right. But right. Uh, they're it, it's it's interesting to think about. I don't think we need a book about it. Anybody don't you don't need to write a book about it. But it's interesting <laughs> to think about. Protect your mom. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're done. <laughs> no, I, I, I couldn't write that book. It would have to be a woman who's had children, who's steeped in Larry Niven, and even then, yeah, we probably don't need it. We don't. We're good. I, I also like to. I also like that. Um, in creating these pack, he's done something. He's created something really original. I don't think anybody came up with this before, right? Any mm-hmm. sort of. It's a, it's sort of a creation so um, original. It's like a dragon, right? Yeah. Or a, um, an elf or something like that, because they're. Uh, and I, I did like to see the Kazinti fighting, you know, against a monkey, essentially, right? It's the cats versus monkey battle that we've always. It's the cat versus monkey battle you've always wanted. That's <laughs> describe. Describe the uh, the man's in wars, yeah. The man gets in wars, but well, no, literally like uh, the sort of the ultimate chimpanzee, like uh, super strong hominid versus feline, right? In that battle between Speaker or um, Shmi and uh, and Tila, right? Um, and who will win? Is it the 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 fierce te- toothed, uh, overly muscled? burly cat or is it the uh is the curious monkey with the really good swinging arms and i i used to like uh as douglas adams put it right uh, we weren't particularly proud of our (laughs) our monkey ancestors i never invite them for dinner (laughs) never write them around for dinner um Um, I wasn't really proud of my monkey ancestry until uh, I I got the protectors in there, and I was like, yeah, you know what? They're not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, being a, a hominid, you know, yeah, we're not as cool as cats. We're not as uh, we're not as lone as wolves, but we got our stuff going. We got our <laughs> own stuff. Yeah, which which makes me think of uh, the travel universe and the far end. How that's a universe where ancient aliens took humans and seeded them up throughout the galaxy. And they also took wolves and they uplifted wolves into two-legged uh, intelligent creatures called the Varger. And the, they act in packs. They're not quite as intelligent as humans, but they're, yeah, a pack of Vargas, not something you want to mess with. We might we might be the humans the best on the block, but yeah, the Varger, the Varger are not to be... Not to be screwed around. It, it's it's kind of lucky that, uh, yeah, that's Nivet hasn't done that. I mean, the Zinti are clearly cats, but besides that, there's no other. Let's uplift other species and tell us that's more David Brin sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm really uh, glad you guys joined me today. Oh yeah, this was this was most excellent. Thank you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com. This is Orson Scott Card for Audible.com. Larry Niven may well be the best storyteller that pure science fiction has ever had. He came into the field first in the 1960s, won a Hugo within two years of his first publication, and uh, the short story that became the basis of the novel Protector appeared the year after that. Between the short story and the novel Protector, uh, there appeared his Ring World, which is still one of the greatest works of science fiction. What marked Larry Niven is that not only did he tell great science fiction in the tradition of what we call hard SF now, science-based science fiction, where all the science fiction absolutely fits the known rules of, of science, uh, he also was very good at doing what his predecessors had not been so good at. Only Robert Heinlein, of this kind of writer, um, was known for creating characters that were compelling and interesting. So I think of Larry Niven as the direct successor of Robert Heinlein. In many ways, Heinlein created the field of science fiction. Larry Niven is the man who kept this pure, hard SF storytelling with characters alive during the time of the new wave so that it was there available for writers like me to pick up and continue with uh, when I appeared 10 years after he did. Larry Niven's Protector is a remarkable book. In it, he reinvents the entire history of the human race. It begins innocently enough, uh, showing us a not-so-distant future where uh, humans have populated the asteroid belt and, and really regard themselves as being, uh, in many ways, different from and superior to the people who live on Earth. The uh, solar system has been divided between the Belters and the uh, Flatlanders. And then we have our first encounter with an alien. Only, how alien is he really? Larry Niven spews out incredible ideas the way that other writers spew out commas and periods. Um, this book is no exception. In fact, this may be one of his best books for simply idea generation. Not only does he get some of the uh, future styles correct, for example, writing long before uh, Mohawks became popular, he has the Belters uh, use Mohawks as a, as a style, women wearing Mohawks with a long ponytail. Um, but that's kind of trivial. He deals with scientific ideas that are fantastic because he has a character that thinks way better than human beings do, uh, much, much, much smarter. He has to come up with not just the ideas that that character has at the beginning, but has to keep topping them as he tries to anticipate what the people that he's protecting the world from um, will come up with so that Larry not only has to come up with uh, great ideas, he has to then top them and then top them again and then make them clear to us, who, of course, don't have those scientific understandings, are not geniuses at the level of these characters. So the challenge that, that he has and the challenge that we have as readers is to realize that there's some of this stuff that we readers are simply not going to get, and that's okay. When you're listening to this, don't keep pausing to say, oh, man, I don't get the science. It's okay. Move right on. You will get the story, and you'll just have to trust that Larry Niven really has worked out all these ideas, and they really do make scientific sense. If you actually do have the science to understand them, great, but uh, then don't bother conversing with me because it's above my head as well. The story, though, is absolutely wonderful. And then he gets into metaphysics. He explains away the story of the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He explains to us why it is that in our culture uh, or in 
human cultures traditionally, older people are respected precisely at the time that their brains are starting to uh, deteriorate and shut down. Um, he explains why we age the way we do, what it means to be human, why we have a bunch of primates related to us, filling an, an ecological niche that seemed not to exist before the primates showed up. So the idea level here is amazing, but at heart, what matters is he takes he he goes through year after year, decades, centuries, and still makes us care about characters. He makes them come to life. He makes them real. This is science fiction at its best. And even though we're we're now more than thirty years later, uh, and this book is actually, I suppose, kind of old, it's still fresh, it's still new, and nobody does it better than Larry Niven.